Well, welcome, welcome to Centerpoint. I'm glad you're here today. If you are new with us, my name is John. I'm lead pastor here, and I'm glad you came. And if you are new, we'd love to get to know you. Make sure you stop by the blue tables out on the patio after service so we can say hello and get you connected. So this is uh, the last few weeks of this series called Basic Training, where we're going through the book of James. We're taking some wisdom from God's word for everyday life. And so I want you to get ready for that today. Open up your Bible. Hope you brought one or... Open up your phone and get there to James chapter four. And James is is this book in the Bible that just, you know, sentence after sentence, it seems to just be very practical, very everyday, straight down the middle, kind of here's how to do this Christian life stuff. And so we've been spending uh, these couple of months diving into this one book of the Bible. And if you've missed any of the weeks, you can go back online and and listen to them. But what you get in the book of James that we're going to look at today in chapter four is this teaching about the temporary nature of things. And so I want you to just think with me for a moment about things that Uh, that are temporary. Like, for example, a basket of chips and salsa, or the lines at Disneyland, or candlelight, or a good hair day, or a bad haircut, or a clean shave, or candlelight, or the lines coming back across the border from Tijuana, although that doesn't feel temporary when you're in it. But all, all of these things, what they have in common is that they're temporary. And so much of what we live through in this life is temporary. And from time to time, we need to be reminded of that fact. And so as we jump into the book of James today, I think we're going to see this. We're going to see a reminder of the temporary nature of things. And I, I've observed that in order to experience a real spiritual life, what God often does is he challenges our sense of independence, permanence, and innocence. Because in order to have a real spiritual life, those things have to be challenged. Our sense of our own independence and permanence and innocence, they have to be challenged. And it's only when we do experience that challenge from God about the fact that we're totally dependent on God. As much as we thought we were making everything happen, we discovered pretty quick, he is God, he is God. And as much as I thought I was so amazing, he is the amazing one who made everything happen. And, and when I think that, that I, I'm permanent and everything I'm doing is gonna last forever and I'm gonna, now God shows us just how temporary we are. And when we think that we're just cold, just, completely innocent. God shows us in his word how we are guilty as anybody else and carry the weight of sin and guilt apart from Jesus. And so God challenges our sense of independence, our our sense of permanence, our sense of innocence, so that we can have a legitimate, real spiritual life, recognizing I'm saved by the grace of God. I exist in an internal reality only because of his mercy and goodness and everything about me is totally dependent on God. That's a healthy spiritual life. And when you come to that kind of an awareness, then you can live here and now with the greatest kind of fulfillment and the best kind of impact imaginable because then you're a a vessel through whom the power and presence of God can flow because your pride is out of the way. So we're going to turn to the book of James today uh, in chapter 4, verse 13, and get into God's word. So let's turn there now. James 4, chapter 4, verse 13. It says, listen, listen, you who say, 
Well, today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what'll happen tomorrow. What's your life? You're a mist, appears for a little while, and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. You know, I've been saying in this series that the book of James comes across as something of the words of a grumpy uncle, you know? And again, case in point, this is why. But, but I want to recognize something. It, it is important that we understand that while the book of James does reflect the character of James because he wrote it, that it is the Holy Spirit who inspired the content. And, and so even though some of the tone reflects the character of James, the person who does seem a bit grumpy, it is yet inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the content of it is for you and me, words of life. So we're going to choose to take it that way. And, and as we, we read this, uh, we find the word sin is in the last verse. And you know what? The word sin, whenever I read in the Bible about sin, what I'm discovering is that really the only response to any time God calls out sin is to repent. Everybody say repent. 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 You know, repent is a word that gets a bad rap, doesn't it? Because we hear the word repent, and some of you, I can see it in your face. You're already shutting down. You're like, oh, gosh. You know, but, but we get this word repent, and it gets a bad rap because we, we picture some, you know, some guy on the street corner with an A-frame sign and a wagging finger and an angry face, and we're like, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But I want you to just reconsider the word repent for what it really is. To repent means to change your mind, to change your mind about what's right, and then to change your direction or your action because you changed your mind. And God is always wanting to change our minds about what we think is right so that we can arrive at an understanding of what he says is right. So to change your mind and then to change your direction and your action is a profoundly good thing. Let me give you an analogy. It's kind of like this. Imagine a guy uh, standing in a tub of manure, just right up to his, you know, right below his knees, just standing there in a tub of manure, and he's saying, oh, yeah, this is really, actually, it's really good, you know. <laughs> it's really good. I mean, it can't be bad. They use it to fertilize crops and stuff. So, yeah, this is real, it, it's, actually, it's, really, it's actually good. It is. You know, so sorry to make him sound like a 9 a.m. Saturday morning drunk, but, you know, so, so he's standing there in the tub of manure and saying it's good and it smells and there's flies coming off of it, but he's like, no, no, it's, it's good, it's good. I swear it's good. And finally, God's message gets through to him. And God's message is, no, 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 it is not good. You're standing in a tub of baloney. That's what you're doing. And the guy finally wakes up and kind of comes to his senses and goes, oh, wait, oh, this is actually cow poop. Oh, oh, 
Ew, what am I doing here? And he steps out of it because he's changed his mind and he gets hosed off and all that nasty grossness gets washed off of him and he ends up clean and refreshed and able to move freely instead of being stuck in a bunch of baloney. So repentance, it's for our good. Because we're kind of that guy sometimes, even though we didn't know it, we didn't recognize it right in the moment, but we get stuck in some baloney. And God brings his word to us and allows us to understand it's not what you think it is. It isn't as good as you thought. You need a change of mind so that you can really be free. And so we repent. We, we experience what the Bible calls metanoia. It, it's the change of mind, the change of thinking about what's right and what to then do about it, change of action, change of direction. So when I read the Bible and a few verses and the upshot of it lands with calling out sin, you know what I want to do? Repent. I just want to because I've come to recognize repentance is something beautiful, something absolutely wonderful. It's what brings you to a place of life rather than staying stuck in death. Are you with me? So my resolve after reading this section of scripture in the book of James is that I'll repent of my pride and I'll reach for God's plans for my life. I'll repent of my pride and I'll reach for God's plans for my life. As I've read this section of James again and again, that's the thought that comes to my mind as my personal resolution. And it's my resolution. My resolve is whenever I find myself in any kind of a, 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 a state where my mind is filled with pride about who I am and what I'm going to do, I'll repent of my pride and I'll reach for God's plans for my life. Would you say this out loud with me one time? Say it. I'll repent of my pride and I'll reach for God's plan for my life. That's what I'm hoping that as we explore this section of James together, that would be all of our resolve, that we would want that, repent of our pride. I got a friend who's a pastor, and a couple of weeks ago he posted online, and his post, it was a picture of some people from his church, and his post, he said, he said I'm godly proud of my church and what they did on this outreach, something like that. And uh, I kind of laughed to myself because he, he made it one word, godly proud, you know? <laughs> so it, it's interesting, though, because we hear the word pride, and we, we probably struggle a little bit because I think all of us intuitively recognize that there are some ways in which pride is healthy and good. Like, for example, when you're proud of your kid for graduating, like when you're proud of the project that you, that you completed at work that turned out well. And that kind of pride is good. And I think my, my friend uh, did it right by, by saying godly proud. I'm just recognizing there is a kind of pride that's perfectly acceptable. And that's not really what James is calling out here. And it's not really what the scriptures call out generally when it speaks about pride as a sin. When, when the scripture speaks about pride as a sin, it's talking about that that disposition of arrogance that is all about me, how awesome I am. Like that, that is what the scripture calls out, it is a sense of, uh, of arrogance where a person is kind of going, 
well, I'm pretty much awesome. <laughs> and everything awesome that happened in my life is a result of my own awesomeness. And I do believe in the Trinity. It's not just me. It's me, myself, and I have created all of this awesomeness. But thumbs up to the big guy in the sky. I'm sure he's really impressed with everything I've done. <laughs> I mean, it's that kind of an attitude that, that James, that the Holy Spirit through James is calling out. That arrogance that really, in a sense, displaces God as if that were possible, but at least in the thinking of the person coming from that place, it is. So I wanna, I wanna come back to a place where I'm acknowledging the scripture. So let's do this. Let's dive into James chapter four, verse 13, for just a couple of minutes together. It said, again, in verse 13, it said, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. <laughs> Which, why don't, you don't even know what'll happen tomorrow. You know, I remember when I first began reading the Bible, kind of taking it seriously, I remember reading this verse and thinking to myself, well, shoot, I guess I don't get to plan things, huh? You know? And then I began thinking a little bit more about it, thinking, well, it specifically calls out a year, so maybe I can do planning as long as it's 11 months or less, you know? And whenever I began to do planning more than that, I was thinking to myself, oh, man, I feel a little sketchy right now. Like maybe I'm doing something Bible legal in this moment. Did anyone else ever feel something like that? Am I the only one, right? But what I was doing was I was reading this one verse kind of in isolation. And what all of us need to learn to do as believers is to read the whole counsel of God's word. Because if you read this one verse, you might come to the conclusion like, wow, I guess, I guess God doesn't like people to make plans, you know? But that can't possibly be the case. Because when you read the rest of the scriptures, you find God very clearly communicating a great value for planning and the wisdom that goes into that. For example, uh, just a few, a few scriptures that detail this. Proverbs 21.5, it says the plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Or Proverbs 18.8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. That's a form of planning. Or Proverbs uh, 21.5, it says, why don't you read this one with me? Ready, go. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. <laughs> it is again, planning. Proverbs 16.3, it says, commit your actions to the Lord and your your plans will succeed. I mean, these are just a few at the tip of the iceberg of the scriptures that reveal God's heart for us is to be people who can make plans. It isn't the planning in and of itself that's the problem. It's the posture of the heart. I mean, that's, that's really what we're, we're hearing from James. James is not railing against the act of planning. I mean, that's just being a responsible human being. What James is railing against is the functional atheism that goes into some of our approach to living when we make plans as though God didn't even exist. James is coming against that posture of heart that really thinks, it's all me. I'm doing it all, I make it all happen, my plans are the best plans. That's what James is saying, come on, don't go there, don't think that way. It, it isn't good for you and it's not the truth. I do believe that our God wants us to go after great things. And, and to go after great things, make some great things happen. I'm so grateful every time I hear about somebody in our church who just started a business and then check in a couple years later and it's going amazingly well and 30 or 40 people are getting hired and have jobs and people are being provided for because somebody made a plan to start a business. I love it. 
But what, what our God wants is for you and I to be the kind of people who do our planning with, with a childlike kind of a heart, a childlike faith that would say, I'm going after it, but I really believe that in the end, my dad's got it. My dad's got it. Uh, my father in heaven has got it. And I'm making my plans, but I know that he is the one behind the scenes, over the scenes, within the scenes, underneath the scenes, all through the scenes, bringing his power to bear on the ideas that I've, I've, I've arrived at. I think this is what God's calling us to, is, is that kind of a life. Because the scriptures say, maybe these are familiar words to you, but in Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Do you know the plans God has for you? Or do you just know the plans you have for you? I think what what we're called to here is to repent of our pride in thinking it's all about what we can come up with. and, And to come to a place of seeking God. Really, that's what I think we are made for is to be the kind of people that would make plans by first seeking God, inquiring of the Lord, leaning in for a moment in his presence by saying, God, I've got a future out in front of me and there's a pathway I could choose this way or that. God, what is your direction for my life? God, I want to see something happen in this business. Would you show me your best for what could happen with these employees, with this group, with this department I'm leading? God, what is your heart for what I could do next? But to be those kind of people. And when we get the sense that God is saying to us, you can choose A, B, or C. To do that choosing with a sense of humility, knowing that God is the one who even gave you that freedom. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. This is the word of God for somebody today. It's right, the inclination you have to make a plan, but do it in the presence of God. Do it with a posture of heart that acknowledges his sovereignty over whatever you come up with. Do it by seeking what his wisdom and his heart is for that next move. Let him speak to you. Be the kind of person who grows in your ability to hear his voice and to sense his nudge moving you in this or that direction. That is the kind of planning that pleases our God. So uh, let me me read this verse again. In verse 14, James 4.14, it said, Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I I like the way the NASB puts it, because the NASB uh, says it like this. It says, yet you don't even know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. How's that for a hopeful, happy, (laughs) empowering word? (laughs) It, It does challenge us, doesn't it? Because a lot of us, we want to be big stuff. We want to be known for how amazing we are, for the awesome stuff we did. And from time to time, in order for you to have a genuine spiritual life, God pushes back on that idea. And these words are sobering, aren't they? You're you're a vapor. And and the scriptures are drawing our attention to the, the temporary nature of 
human existence on planet Earth apart from the redeeming power of Jesus. Uh, you know what? This past year, uh, my eldest son got his driver's license, and that had a certain kind of an effect on me. It, it caused me to suddenly feel like, I'm old, you know? Does anyone else relate to that? If you've had a kid that finally started driving, it's a certain line in the sand that it forces you to recognize, I, I'm, I've, I've got a kid who drives now. I don't know how that happened, but it means I'm old, some kind of old. Anyway, when he, when he got his driver's license, I was just, I could not stand the shock of it. I was thinking, wait a minute, how did, how did this happen? How is this even possible that I have a kid who drives? Because in my mind, it was two minutes ago that I was getting my driver's license, you know? And I remember getting my driver's license. I remember it like it was yesterday, you know? I remember when my friend Billy O got his driver's license, and then the next day, he picked me up for school in his dad's Chevy Citation station wagon, and it had just rained, and uh, he picked me up, and he was so excited, he just got his license, and we were driving about 50 miles an hour down the road in front of the school. He's like, are you ready? I'm like, what? And he's like, watch this. And he crossed his hands on the steering wheel like this. And then he whipped it like that and made that Chevy Citation station wagon do something that I don't think its engineers ever imagined it could even do. Anyway, don't try that at home. Don't try that. But just in my mind, it does literally feel like a day ago. It, it might as well have been just yesterday. How can it be that all of a sudden I'm the guy with a kid that drives? And something about this past year, having a kid that drives, it did something inside of me. It pressed a button, the mortality awareness button. And it's not just because I was sitting in the passenger seat with my son. It wasn't that. It was, it was the, the fact that I now had a kid who, who drives. And all of a sudden, like never before in my life, I started thinking about my life in terms of these large chunks of time. Like, wow, well, that whole chunk of time is now officially done. You know, whatever that chunk was that included young children and, and uh, you know, pre-teenagers, that officially is done. And I'm in this new chunk. And, and then I started thinking about, well, that one only lasted 16 years. What does that mean about this next chunk? Maybe I have maybe 20, maybe 25 years of, of high energy, and that's only if I'm healthy. Like, it, it was kind of weird to be suddenly thinking about life this way in a way that I never really thought about it before. And on one hand, it could feel a little bit depressing. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's empowering. Because when you recognize the truth of God's word, you're a vapor. You, you start recognizing, wow, that it is, it's temporary. I want to make it count. Because the scripture does say this about you and me. It says that you are this. Ready? Yeah. That's what the scripture is conveying. You're a vapor. Temporary. And it's not all bad news, though. Because if you are a vapor... I heard Christine Kane say this. If you're a vapor, then so is so many of the challenges that you go through. If you're a vapor, guess what? So is that, that difficult employee situation at work. <laughs> if you're a vapor, then so is that health diagnosis that just seems to define you. If you're a vapor, then this parenting failed disaster that you're going through right now yeah. If you're a vapor, then the financial distress that seems to be covering your whole life is also a vapor. Are you with me? There's hope in this and recognizing that some of the difficulties and challenge, so many of these things, they are also a vapor and they will pass. 
They will. And, and from time to time, God is looking to get a hold of you in your heart and your soul to help you to recognize the temporary nature of things and to make it count. Psalm 90, verse 10, it said this. It said, our days may come to 70 years or 80 of strength endures. And I know somebody's like, well, my uncle's 95. I know, I know your uncle's 95, right? But the scriptures nevertheless are just revealing that on the whole, generally speaking, a realistic expectation for the number of our days is something like that, 70, 80 years. And, and when you read that, it should grab hold of you and you should go, man, if that's the case, it's temporary. I want to make it count. What am I doing right now? What am I doing to make it count? What, what are the choices that I'm making with my life that could do something to bring a great impact for the glory of God? I read some statistics. I read that every hour on planet Earth, 6,136 people die. I read that every day, 151,000 people die. I read that every year, 55 million people die. What that means is that today, 150,000 people didn't get there tomorrow. Probably woke up. You know, thinking, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and order this on Amazon, and I'm going to make this plan to meet this person for coffee, and didn't realize that was the day that that truck, like, barreled through the intersection, or whatever the case was. But what I'm getting at is that our days are determined by God, and, and we aren't really in as much control as we thought, and maybe it would be good for us to acknowledge that, not to lose a sense of power, but to gain a better sense of power, a true power from God, the power of his love filling us up and flowing us, because we recognize this temporary, I want to make it count, so let me draw on the source that's eternal. It's temporary, make it count. You're a vapor. <laughs> Turn to somebody sitting next to you and just tell them, you're a vapor, just tell them that. And, and this is V-A-P-O-R, okay, so... It's not, not, not a commentary on jewels or anything. Okay, so you're a vapor. What are you going to do about it? I would suggest you're a vapor, so love more. Give more. Forgive more. Play more. Give of your heart more to the people around you. You're a vapor, and you can make a better impact by leaning in to go after it more in this life. The scriptures say in James 4, verse 15, it says, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Actually, why don't you read this verse with me? Ready? Read it. Go. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. I love this simple statement reflecting the sovereign majesty of God. I love it. But I don't think that the solution is to go around muttering the phrase, if it's the Lord's will, as some sort of a magical incantation. <laughs> you know, like, well, happy anniversary, babe. Here's to 18 more years, if the Lord wills. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Hanson, I'm glad to do this root canal for you. It's going to turn out just fine, if the Lord wills. You know? <laughs> sure, boss, I'll be there at 8 a.m. tomorrow, just like you requested. I mean, if the Lord wills, right? Or, all right, congratulations on your first solo skydive. You just jump out, count to 20, pull the string, and the chute's going to open. Everything's going to be just fine, if the Lord wills. You know, I, no, I don't think that that's the solution. I think it's more about the posture of the heart. 
the posture of the heart that would recognize the sovereign majesty of God over everything. You know, the Puritans back in the day in the 1700s were, were writing letters back and forth to one another when they were you know, coming and settling in America. And they would always sign their letters with the initials DV, all of them, just their name and DV, or DV and then their name. And it's a direct reference to James 4.15. DV stands for Deo Volente. Why don't you say that? Deo Volente. DV. Deo Volente. And, and it's just this posture of the heart that came through that group of people to acknowledge God reigns. We're, we're going to make plans. We're going to do what we can to make something great happen. We're going to do that. But God reigns. He's the sovereign one. And we exist under his covering. Deo volente. God willing. I hope that we could all have that kind of a posture of heart to acknowledge, God, I'm going to do my best with every opportunity you give me. And I'm going to make plans as you infuse my mind with ideas. But I recognize that you reign over absolutely everything. That you are the sovereign God who intervenes at will to accomplish your purposes. And you'll do that. And I will thrive because of your willingness to let me thrive, God. Deo volente, the Lord willing. This is the posture that we're called to. To, to do your business with a Deo volente kind of a mindset. If the Lord wills, he's going to give us victory. He's going to give us an ability to make a profit. If God wills, we're going to make a, a, a great impact in the marketplace, and lots of people are going to get jobs. It's going to be amazing. Deo volente, God willing. If God is willing, this is what we're going to do as a church. If God is willing, this is what we're going to do as a family. We're going to make our plans. We're going to reflect on his sovereign majesty as we do. It's what we're made for. It's what we're made for. If you could let go of your own pride, repent of your pride of thinking, it's all about me, it's all about what I can come up with, you'd actually make room for the immeasurably more of God, right? Wouldn't you want some of the immeasurably more of God, or do you just want what you can come up with? Because the scriptures I read say to me, not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. <laughs> I can ask and imagine some good stuff, but I want to make room for the immeasurably more of God in my own life, in my own path forward, in my own work, in your business, in the work that you do, in the education you're pursuing. Make room for the immeasurably more of God. Repent of the pride of thinking it's all up to you and reach for God's plan for your life. And God's plan for your life first and foremost, includes you turning to Jesus and asking him to forgive your sin and save you. Amen. And so for many of us who are believers, we would say, that's where I live. I live every day knowing I'm forgiven. Believer, let me ask you to please never lose sight of how amazing and beautiful that gift is, that you are forgiven and that you have a path straight to heaven because of Jesus. Uh, somebody better wake up and say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Because you know how much you needed saving. You know what he's forgiven you for. Give him the praise he deserves. Don't ever hold back. But for someone else today, this is the point. You need to recognize that God loves you. And he loves you so much, he sent Jesus for you to demonstrate his love. And you could stand back indifferent about that. 
But if that's your posture, you will never receive what he has for you, his gift of salvation, which is the forgiveness of your sins, the power to be made new here and now, the eternal life in heaven forever, all of that, this gift of salvation. But in order to receive it, you need to repent, to change your mind about what was right. And instead of thinking, I'm a law unto myself, I'll do whatever I want, doesn't matter as long as I'm not hurting anybody, all that baloney, to repent, to turn to him and ask him to forgive you, and ask him to forgive you and save you. And as you do that, he will reach into your life and rescue you, and he will change you from the inside out. I want to pray for somebody today that that would happen here and now. You saw a few people get baptized this morning, and that's this external moment that reflects that that kind of moment I just described has taken place. I want that moment for somebody right now. So would you pray with me? Just as pray together. Lift your, 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 uh, your hands or bow your head or close your eyes, whatever would make sense for you as you pray. But pray with me. God, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life that we experience when we come to you. And God, I pray that right now in this moment, you would do a spiritual awakening for somebody. Because, God, I believe that there's somebody right now that's sort of like that, that picture I was painting before of being stuck in a tub of manure. It's just, it is so not good. And if that's you, I want to tell you something. You don't get yourself out of that. God gets you out of that by Jesus. But you turn to Jesus. You ask him to forgive you. And, and maybe right here and right now you could do that. You could experience his rescue. So while we're praying together, if you're here today and you would say, I think I need to ask Jesus Christ to forgive my sins and save me. If that's you in this moment and you don't know where you stand with God, but something inside of you is you, you, you're desperate, you wish you could be right with God. I want to tell you there's a way to be right with God. It's through faith in Jesus. And there is no other way to be right with God but through faith in Jesus. And so right here and right now, if you would say, I want that, I want to be right with God, then you need to repent and turn to Jesus in this moment. And if you're ready to do that, give your life to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and save you, right now, raise your hand. Just raise it really high. It's your way of saying, I need Jesus. Right here in the front, that's great. Who else? I don't want to miss you. This is your moment. Right there in the back. Thank you, sir. That's excellent. Right over here, in the middle, in the back, and you, sir, also, thank you. That's excellent. Who else? I don't want to miss you. We, right over there in the back, and right over here in the back, and right there in the back, yes, sir. Thank you, God. Right over here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. God is on the move in this place right now. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. 